Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we finish up Paul's letter to the Ephesians and our study in this master class of Christianity, which has been teaching the church who she is and what she is designed for. This final lesson is one of the most important for it will frame for us our marching orders as Jesus' followers. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we'll see how crucial it is to fight the spiritual battle according to God's strategy for his church. Uh, when I was coaching football for the fifth and sixth graders, uh, it's one of the first times that these kids ever put on the helmet, put on the pads and all the shin guards and the cleats and uh, it's a little funny to watch them. If you've ever seen little kids play football, that giant helmet almost tips them over sometimes as they're running. Uh, but one of the things that you have to break real quickly out of them is the instinct that when you're about to get hit, you don't recoil away from it. Because that's what you do instinctively. If, you, if you're going to get hit, you don't want to get hit. And so you kind of cover up the vulnerable places and you duck in like this. And you know what you really do is you expose all this part of your flank that's going to get drilled by either that defender or offensive person and it hurts <laughs> and it hurts because you're not using the pads that we gave you to hit one another and so what we have to do is teach them how to hit with the shoulder and how to lean into it and allow that protective gear to absorb all of the punishment and turns out once they learn that football can be a lot of fun it's designed that way no one's throwing them out there like these uh uh, I don't know if your family was like mine at Thanksgiving. Do you ever play a little football at Thanksgiving with your family? No pads. Just whoever's not bleeding at the end of the day didn't try hard enough. Right? Do you know that God has given you pads? He's, he's given you armor. And the reason he has is because it's not just a game that you're in. You're actually, you're in a war, church. You, you are in a battle, right now. And I think one of the one of the major problems within discipleship is that we would act instinctively to rely on our own self-preservation and thereby inadvertently exposing ourselves to attack, to pain because we're not using the armor. We're not using the pads that God's given us in order to fight this battle effectively. I think of another illustration uh, as, as we are in what I think is perhaps the most important section of our whole study on Paul's masterclass to the church in Ephesians. But the second illustration that I think of is when I was in high school, uh, we, we were, um, I was playing basketball and our team was pretty good. And the problem with being good is not that you're good, it's when you know you're good. That's the problem. There's a name for that. You know what it's called? Pride. That's what it's called. And there was uh, one team on our schedule down in kind of central but northern Wisconsin uh, from a tiny little town called White Lake. Does anyone know where White Lake, Wisconsin is? I didn't see a single hand go up just now. No, I saw it. Yeah, I'm lying to you. I can't believe you know where White Lake is. It's like hardly even on the map. Well, if you looked at the records, you saw that our school had all wins. We were doing awesome. And do you know what White Lake had? All losses. In fact, they, I think it's a Christian school. I, I could be wrong on this, but uh, it seemed like it might have been. Their, uh, their gym, all I know is their gymnasium also had double duty as a chapel. Um, they only had 
tiny little, uh, you're shaking your head, they're, they're not Christian. Or I don't know. You don't know? Okay. I didn't know if they were or not. But it's, it seemed like they might have been. They had these tiny little bleachers that were there. It felt dark. It felt like you didn't even, you weren't even in a gymnasium. So how much planning do you think our team did? How much stretches do you think we did? How much preparation do you think we did? We thought we were going to what? Just go right in there and they're going to roll over and give us the win. And they didn't. You should have heard our coach at halftime. So, so why? What was the problem? Well, the problem is we didn't practice because we didn't take it serious. We didn't stretch, barely warmed up. We weren't disciplined that week in our diet or exercise. There was no mental preparation. Why? Because we underestimated the challenge. Church, we need to make sure that we're not doing the same thing. We need to make sure that we are not underestimating the weapons of warfare that are right now being leveled against you. That are right now being leveled against the church. And if we don't take this seriously, you not only aren't going to be using the armor and so receiving the damage from the enemy, you are actually going to be bringing disdain to the reputation and the name of the one who gave you the armor. And why? Because of pride? Because of ignorance? Because we don't know that there's actually a battle going on? Well, hey, after this morning, no one in here is going to be able to say we didn't know. And I know that you know this. And yet I'm afraid... I'm afraid you're not stretching. I'm I'm afraid you're not taking it seriously. I'm I'm afraid you're not putting in the effort needed to do battle against the enemy who is not sleeping in their offense against the glory of God. So that's what this message is about today. As, As we have looked through God giving the design for the church in this encyclical letter that's going out to all these churches of which the copy we have is from Ephesus, Paul now reaches to the point where he's going to give us a new strategy. And I want to submit to you this morning, church, that if you pay close attention to this, this might be that moment to help just click everything together or the light bulb goes on so that you see God's design for how you and I are supposed to do battle. Now, maybe you've heard of this topic before. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. Sometimes it's referred to as just simply as the armor of God. I'm willing to bet if you look at a heading in your Bible, that's exactly what, what it might say. And believe me, there is no shortage of sermons out there preached on the armor of God. Um, just show of hands. You've studied this before. Come on, let's see here. All right, that's everybody. So um, I want to submit to you today that hopefully, hopefully, you have some already active form of discipleship in your life that's modeled after this. I hope that's true for you. I'm still willing to bet that as much as I know my own heart that I need help with this, I'm willing to bet you might as well. And so please follow with whatever you currently are doing in the form of putting on the full armor of God. But if you're not, I hope to give you today what I believe God's going to deliver, which is a new strategy. He's going to give us a way of looking at the battle that I'm hoping for all of us here today help to make us effective at spiritual warfare. So with that in mind, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians 6. We're going to read starting in verse 10, right through the end of the chapter. As we do, um, uh, we're going to kind of go through a few things today that uh, it's going to feel a little bit like a Bible study. That's my hope. Are you guys cool with that? Everybody all right? 
We're good? Give me an amen if you're good. Amen. Jacob, got thumbs up in the back. All right, here we go. Starting in chapter 6, Paul writes in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm in, for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. To Chaikis, the dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. It's a little sad for me here to get to the end of this letter. I've really enjoyed uh, getting to walk through this uh, with each of you. And I hope you've been able to see how there is something that's uh, a word repeated. New, new, new. Something is new for the church over and over. Today, uh, it's significant for us. In our battle, in our position against the flaming arrows that come from the evil one, you and I need to take up our arms. Take up our armor. I believe he's going to help us to see how to do that. Before we dive into some particulars on the observations here. Um, There are two verbs that are being used primarily in this text. Uh, You'll see the first one in verse 11, put on, it says in English. Uh, The the Greek word here, though, is clothe. So it's correct, right? To put on is to clothe yourself. But in the same way that you put your clothes on this morning, that's the word he uses. The second verb shows up in verse 13, and it's the same in the NIV. Therefore, put on, but it's a different word. This word means take up. It's the the verb that's used for somebody who's handing you something that you are going to then take from them to utilize it. 
Put on is what we have in English. But I think the reason I wanted to highlight this for you is because the two aspects of the armor of God are, number one, clearly, the metaphor of armor means you need to use it. Right? That makes sense? So take it up as though you were going to exercise it. And then the second is one I think that we miss a little bit easier, and it's the clothing part of it. It's identity-driven. It's where you find your source of strength. And it's so easy to miss. Look, look with me in the very first phrase. Finally, be strong in what? In the, in the Lord and in His mighty power. It almost seems obvious, too quick that we look it over, but this, what, this is what it means. There's, these two verbs are going to help us know how to make sense of the armor. In one sense, you take it to use it, and in the second sense, you take it to wear it, to identify who you are. Does this make sense to everybody? Can I see where we're at on that? That's the first thing I want us uh, just to kind of get out, get out there. Um, the, the second thing has to do with some categorization that's going on within the armor of God. Um, the way I try to memorize it is that there's six of them, and they come in two sets of three. So you have, um, you have belt of truth, you have breastplate of righteousness, and you have uh, shoes or feet that are shoed uh, with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, here's what's unique about all three of those. Those are all fairly common ways of dressing. I mean, everybody puts something over their chest. Everybody puts something onto their feet and everybody has a belt, right? Those are a little bit more commonplace. Those are the first three. The second three are really only ones that you're going to use if you're going into a battle. So it's a shield, it's a helmet, and it's a sword. What I'm wanting you to see is that in the very same way that the verbs commanded to us articulate one sense of what you put on normally... And the other verb, what you take up to fight, that we're actually given six different examples, metaphors, for the armor of God that also fall into those two categories. So things that everybody would wear, something over their chest, something over their feet, and a belt. And then things only a soldier is going to have or take up to fight with. A shield, a helmet, and a sword. Everybody on the same page with that? I'm, I'm wanting you to just kind of see what's happening here in the text. The last thing before we dive into some really key conclusions and and observations is that I think we would be remiss in understanding the origin of Paul's encouragement if we didn't ask the question, why? So start with the first one. What what is it? The belt of what? Belt of, say it out. Truth. Truth. Why truth? Why not the belt of peace? Why not the belt of love? Why truth? And th- this is what I want us to do. I, w- I, want us, I was going to actually put these all up on the screen, and I thought, well, maybe we'll just, I'll have folks shout it out. And then I thought, it's a terrible idea, Ryan. Don't have folks shout out the answer. But we're going to try it anyways. So let's see how this goes, right? We'll have a little bit of a Bible study here in church this morning. Um, what is the opposite of truth? Lies. Say good and loud. Lies. Nailed it. Good. Good. I, I, I think that if we didn't ask the question, why does Paul choose these particular uh, identifiers within the metaphors? I think we'll miss out on what the enemy's doing. Because you know what's really helpful? You know what's really helpful in football is if you know the play they're about to run. 
You guys know what I'm talking about? Lions and Packers fans are having a rough year. I get it, okay? I can see we're we're sensitive subject here. If you know what the enemy is going to do, so much more helpful for you and I to know how to stand against that strategy. So we're given a new strategy. Do you know that the devil is a liar? Do you know that lying is one of his most effective weapons that he's going to bring against you, which is why truth is what we are called to. Let's try the next one out. Breastplate of righteousness. This might be a trickier one. What's the opposite of righteousness? Oh, that was, that was good. Unrighteousness. A couple people were like, can't be wrong on that one. Yeah. So there's a few answers I would have accepted for that. Um, you, you, might, you might talk about sin, right? So, so sin and righteousness are on opposite ends. Rebellion, wickedness, anything that would be a synonym there of that, right? Everybody tracking with me on this? So, by the way, that's not actually a problem. Like, you having sin is not a problem. Wickedness, rebellion, it's not a problem unless God's going to judge sin and wickedness. And rebellion. So if God is going to judge sin and wickedness and rebellion, then it's a problem. There's a word for that when you put it together. It's called condemnation. There's a really awesome passage at the beginning of Romans chapter 8. Paul writes, there is therefore now no condemnation. It's a judicial term, right? It's when the judge lays the gavel down and declares guilty. Well, guess what? If you are in Christ Jesus, you are no longer guilty. This is incredible. And what I want to submit to you is that is exactly what the breastplate of righteousness is meant to entail. Is that the righteousness that I'm carrying is not my own. It comes from Jesus. And because it's protecting my heart, it means that I am no longer under condemnation. Do you know what the second major weapon the devil is going to use against you? Lies, I think, is number one. You know what number two is? It's accusation. He is called the accuser. In fact, that's the literal name. Satan means accuser. One who accuses you. So if you're in the courtroom and God is sitting at the judge and you are on the stand, do you know who's over there throwing darts at you? It's Satan. It is the devil. It is demons that are accusing you, you are guilty. You are guilty. Have you ever felt that in your spirit? Have you ever felt in those moments of like being low? I'm not deserving of God's love. How could God ever save somebody like me? Right, that you are being attacked right now. So truth, righteousness. Let's try the third one. Um, It's the gospel, right? Readiness of the gospel. This is verse 15, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Uh, This is a a little bit harder. Gospel means what? Quiz time. Good news. So what's the opposite of the gospel? There it is. All right. You guys are still tracking with me on this, right? The opposite of the gospel would be bad news. Well, this is, again, part of the wheelhouse of the devil's strategy. He reminds you that you are cursed. That's the bad news, by the way, that you are are under a curse, that you are depraved, that you are estranged from your creator and are unworthy. 
That's kind of bad news. Well, that's what the devil will bring. He will bring lies. He will bring accusation. He will bring condemnation and bad news. Let's look at the next one. Take up the shield of... Oh, come on, read your Bible. What does it say? The shield of faith. faith. I'll accept a couple different answers on this one. Uh, What do you guys think the opposite of faith is? Lack of faith, did I hear? Okay. Unbelief. Unbelief. Okay, that's good. What else? Come on, Bible study in church today. It's okay, you can talk. What do you think? Opposite of faith is? Did someone say milk? What? Doubt. Doubt? Okay. (laughs) From the fence here. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think I think we could wrap some of those together. Unbelief, lack of faith, doubt. There's actually a thread that connects all of them together. Do you know what it is? It's called fear. Fear is the thing that puts a person in this position of lack of confidence. And I don't want to walk. I'm afraid to walk. I don't think I can go. And what don't you have in that moment? It's easy. You, you don't have faith. In that moment, because you are being overcome by fear. You know, the devil likes to spread fear. All right, two left. Let's see if we can. Again, we're looking into the playbook of the enemy on this side, right? We're asking the question, why did Paul use these particular commands to us within the metaphors of the armor of God? And it's because it's an exact one-to-one attack that's coming at us. And if we understand that, we'll be better to make our defenses. So the helmet of salvation this one's easy opposite of salvation is being lost sure um damnation is what i wrote down right that uh, which is a abbreviation of condemnation right so if you're not saved you're lost and again we've already seen how that's part of what the devil is going to bring an attack saying that you are lost Last one, and this one might be a little tricky, verse 18, uh, or verse uh, 17, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Now, this is the one that he actually tells us what that is. What is it here? The word of? God. Do you have your Bibles today? How sharp are they? (laughs) You've been sharpening your swords, church, because that's what the sword of the Spirit is. So if you track with me on this, right? If we are being commanded to use God's word as our weapon of attack, what would the opposite of that be? That you wouldn't pick up God's weapon, you'd pick up what type of weapon? World? I'll take that, sure. That's, that's what I think it is. I, I think that the opposite here of the sword of the spirit would be the sword of the flesh. Would be you and I being tricked and lied into thinking, you can do it. You just need to try harder. You just need to work more diligently and be more disciplined. And if you have enough strength, that's how you beat the devil. I think the contrast here, sword of the spirit, would be whatever sword you can fashion. And it will be completely ineffective. Because your word is a finite, fallen, broken word. God's is perfect. Okay, how are we doing? Everybody kind of see what I wanted us to go through this morning? I I want us to take a look at the the armor of God specifically from the reverse as to what this is contrary to. So when it comes to truth, the belt, we're coming against lies. Breastplate of righteousness, we're coming against condemnation. The gospel of good news, we're coming against the curse, bad news. (laughs) 
The shield of faith, we're coming against fear. Salvation as a helmet is protecting us against being lost or damnation. And the sword of the spirit taking up the the, uh, effective weapon as contrasted with whatever sword would come from our own strength. With that as a backdrop of this text, I want to offer you a few observations. Um, (laughs) These are huge church. Oh, I wish everybody was here today just to catch these. Please write these down. Please take these to heart. Number one is this. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. Has anyone in here ever had a problem with someone else? (laughs) A couple hands went up even. I cannot stress to you how this one conclusion alone will reframe how you interact in your relationships, particularly when it comes to forgiveness and unity. It is such an effective deception that the devil would have us think that we're against one another. Paul's clearing that up right now. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against one another. Look with me in the text, verse 12. Literally, as I just read it, your battle is not against flesh and blood. So then what is it against? And we're given this list, this list of words that need some explanation. Against rulers. So like, like Congress, is that, is that not, not, not that kind of ruler. Uh, authorities. So like uh, township chairman. No, I'm no, just joking, Mike. No, not, not that. <laughs> against powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let me just clear that up. I remember it came up in Bible study one time. Heavenly realms doesn't mean heaven. So you're not in a battle against angels or with God. Heavenly realms are referring to the spirit realm. The, the, the devil and demons are spirits. They live and they exist right now In an interactive realm to which we also interact. Because we are spirit creatures. There's a battle going on there. That's where your struggle is. And here's what that means. That means whoever it is that you're having a problem with, they or you are right now being co-opted to think incorrectly. They're being tricked. They're being deceived. They're being lied to. And that's why you have a struggle against them. It's not them though. I think of it like this. Uh, there is there's a, a great teaching throughout the Old Testament and it makes its way into the new of looking at the forces of evil acting like puppet masters over you and I, these puppet agents that are just doing the bidding and the will of whatever it is those spirit actors who are unseen are trying to accomplish in our lives. It's like the reverse of the Wizard of Oz. Do you guys remember the Wizard of Oz story, right? Do, do you remember uh, Dorothy and the... the her band of misfit toys? What is it? I'm a, you get it. They see the head floating up in the sky, right? And it's kind of translucent, transparent. It looks like a spiritual evil until little Toto pulls back the curtain. And what was it? It wasn't a spiritual force. What was it? It was some old dude. That's all it was. This is telling us it's the exact opposite. Because you and I are going to think it's that neighbor it's that family member it's that coworker that we're against but when you pull the curtain back you see it's actually not them it's a spiritual force 
that's invested in them that's causing the turmoil. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood. Do you know that this is why Jesus is able to say the command to his disciples, love your enemies? Has that ever struck you as being like one of the hardest things in the world that Jesus has ever said? Love your enemies. How is Jesus allowed to say that? They're our enemy, unless they really aren't. Unless your enemy, whoever that is right now, is also a victim of spiritual warfare. Because your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against whoever you think your enemy is. There was one time when we were traveling back and forth on our mission uh, that there was one, well, she looked very wealthy, um, woman ahead of us in line at the airport. And as is frequently the case of happening on the islands, the flight was delayed or canceled completely. Well, this individual was just tearing into the poor girl behind the desk. Like she was just telling her off. I mean, you should have heard uh, the scene that this lady was making in the airport as if this little uh, flight attendant, you know, behind in the computer was to blame. Was it her fault? Whose fault was it? It was like probably the weather, right? It was probably something nobody could control. And yet this person was treating her as though it was her fault. How many times have we made this mistake in our relationships? How many times have we flown off the handle or carried regret or bitterness or accusation against somebody thinking it's them? It's them when you know what? It's not. It's spiritual forces of evil that are deceiving perhaps both of you in this case. We got to get this one. Lock this one in. Church, I cannot emphasize to you enough that victory in spiritual warfare begins by you understanding your battle is not against one another. It is against the the rulers and the authorities and the powers of evil that are in the spirit realm. We good on that? Give me an amen if we're good on that. All right. Number two. You and I, as part of the church, are called to advancement and perseverance. This is critical. We are, we are called in the body of God, not just to come and hang out for an hour or two on a Sunday morning and leave. We're actually invested on a team with a strategy that's needing to extend the territory of God's kingdom. You are called to advancement. I'm not talking in any way about uh, some type of prosperity or upgrade in your own life. I'm talking about the extent of the rule of Jesus in our world. I want you to see this because this, these phrases, uh, uh, rulers, authorities, powers of the dark world against the spiritual forces of evil, that's actually repeated. Uh, the heavenlies is repeated earlier in the letter. Hold your spot in chapter 6. Go back with me to chapter 3 real quick. And I want you to look in chapter 3, verse 10. We covered this already, looking at uh, uh, the, the rule of Christ that Paul has made known. Verse 10 says, His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to, look who shows up, the rulers, the authorities, in the heavenly realms. That same category of spirit beings that are seeking to control and lie and accuse you, you and I are supposed to make known the manifold wisdom of God to them. That's a kind of advancement. 
That's a kind of attack that we are tasked with. In fact, empowered and gifted with the ability to carry out. But it's not only advancement, it's also perseverance. And if you will look back with me in the text one more time, I want you to see how repeatedly this word is used to stand your ground. What's, what's the most important thing the defensive line is supposed to do on a football team? Defensive line is to keep the ball where? That's right. You, you, don't, you do not give them a yard. You do not give them an inch. Stand your ground. So here we go in the text, verse 13. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. Right after that command. There it is. Stand firm. Do not crumble against the pressures that are coming against you. Right after that command, you are given six forms of armor. I want you to know, church, that this is what we're called to. So this is what it means to be part of God's family. This is the strategy that God is giving us. It's not a passive spectator as though you're watching this thing happen from the sidelines. You are in it right now. And being in it means you're part of the team to advance the line in the name of Jesus and hold the line against the attack of the evil one. All right, we good on that one? All right, number three, you are susceptible to four things, deception, division, dismay, and destruction. I really wanted to spend more, more time on this. Um, I'm going to go through it quickly just because we're kind of running short on time right now. But th- this is why Paul says put on the armor, not of Ryan or Tom or Gary or Lois or Helen. You're put on the armor of what? You're put on the armor of God. Why? Because this is our problem. We are susceptible to deception, to division, to dismay, and to destruction. And all of those show up in this text. I want to to break them out so that you and I see them together. Number one, let's start with the first one. We are susceptible to deception. What's the very first form of armor? Put on the belt of what? There it is. That's it right there. Do you know why? Because you will so easily believe the lie. You're too gullible, church. (laughs) The devil's too slick in his deception. You and I will too easily be confused to think something that is not good is actually good. This is where I wish I had more time to talk about how the church at large, especially in America, has undergone a kind of corruption because they're actually proclaiming something other than the gospel of salvation and the glory of God. They've taken up all these other mentals that really in and of themselves are not bad things, but they become bad. Why? Because they misplace God at the center of glory. And they put either society or um, political correctness or whatever the particular flavor of political intrigue is at the time. Those aren't necessarily bad things, but they become bad. And if you exchange that for the glory of God, you have been deceived. How does this happen? Well, John 8, 44 Jesus says, you belong to your father, the devil. Want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 
Well, how, how does that even get in the church then? Right? If understand, the spiritual forces of evil are going to be lying to you. Spirits don't have vocal cords. They don't have mouths. So how does that teaching get in the church? How does that pollute us? For we are deceptive of it. Well, this Paul says from 1 Timothy 4. Watch this. He says, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. All right, there you have it. That's the battle that you're up against. This is why truth as a belt is what you need because the devil's number one weapon against you is lying. And how's it get into the church? Such teachings come through hypocritical liars. In the same way that Jesus calls those who follow after him uh, deceived, they're of their father, the devil. They enter into the church this way. So you need a belt of truth. This from 2 Thessalonians, Paul says, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. All right, well, how does Satan work? We've already covered it. He deceives, he lies. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion that they will believe the lie. And so all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Remember, I want you to know it's deceiving. If it was obvious, you wouldn't be tricked. Here's the best example I can give you for this. Of, of the disciples, who is the best disciple? Of the 12, who were they? Number one, who's front of the list? Who shows up more than anybody else? The apostle Peter. Peter. Good. Jesus starts saying, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to bind me. They will beat me and they're going to kill me. Now Peter thinks, that's not how the kingdom of God's supposed to look, right? That's not how the kingdom of God, kingdom of God's supposed to look like you overthrow these crummy Romans, right? And you, and you reestablish what we saw in the reign of King David. That's what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. And so Peter grabs Jesus, pulls him aside and says, hey, you got to quit talking like this, Jesus. Now, if you're familiar with this in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says what to Peter? Get behind me. Whoa. Did Jesus just call Peter Satan? What was Peter being in that moment? He was a puppet. It's not a, it's not a bad thing for the rule and reign of Jesus to be seen on the earth. It's not a bad thing for evil to be done away with. Those are good things, but that's not how God was going to accomplish it. And so the very next line, if you remember it, Jesus says, after he says, get behind me, Satan, for you have in mind the things of man, not the things of God. Peter was deceived. You are also equally susceptible to deception. Let's look at the next one, division. Look with me back into the text. In verse 11, it says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's, what? Schemes. What crummy devil. He's scheming against you right now. What if you knew that? What if you knew right now that your kids were scheming to take all your money or Halloween candy or whatever it is? Like, what if, what if you knew that there was somebody scheming against you? I, I bet you would start to look at how you would counter those attacks, right? Check it out, church. 
The devil is scheming right now. They have a committee meeting going on right now for how they're going to take you down. That's happening. There's a unique way in which the Bible will frame this particular form of attack. It shows, all, it shows up here in 2 Corinthians 2. Look, look with me on this verse. Paul writes, I got to give a little background first. Uh, Paul says in his first letter that there was a man who was sinning in a way that was worse than the pagans. He says you have to stop treating him as though he was confused like a Christian. He's not a Christian. Maybe if he is, he'll come back. So send him outside of the fellowship of the church to see if he will come back. It's for the destruction of his flesh. Paul calls it handing him over to Satan. Well, this is in his second letter. This guy who they put out has repented. This guy who they put out of the church has said, I was wrong. I, I, I was believing the lie. I turned from my sin. And so watch what Paul says to the church now. He says, if anyone has caused grief, he's not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it so severely, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order, watch this, that Satan might not outwit us, for not, we are not unaware of his schemes. Is it easy or hard to forgive? It's hard to forgive. It's hard. The devil loves that. He loves that you struggle with forgiveness. Because do you know what unforgiveness does to the body? Divides us. Is this hard to see in the modern church today? How are we doing on unity in the church today? I, gotta, I, I really, I got to tell you how thankful I am that we get to serve here in Dickinson County. I met with the ministers uh, this past week. Just so many of us come together and just pray for one another. Love one another. That's, that's rare to find in counties in the U.S. I'm so thankful that we have that here. All right, division. Let's go to the next one, dismay. If you look with me in the text, jump down to the bottom he says in verse 19, pray for me. That's kind of cool, huh? The Apostle Paul saying, pray for me. That whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will, watch this, fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Why is Paul asking for prayer? Because Paul might be afraid. He, he, he might be afraid to speak the message because he might get killed from it or tortured from it or the churches might suffer for it. Look what he says in verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in change. Pray that I may declare it how? Boldly. Fearlessly. Boy, church, we need this. The devil, do you know what the number one thing he could do is just scare you? Jesus says these words. Do not fear the one who could kill the body. Do you know the worst thing that can happen to you is as a Christian? You die. That's it. That's the worst thing that could happen. That's no problem for Jesus. Death is not a problem for Jesus. By the way, the day of your death's already been written. So there's no amount of worry that's going to add a single hour to your life on that one. It's already been settled. Jesus says, do not fear the one who can just kill the body. You hold in reverence and fear and honor God alone. Do you know what the devil is called in 1 Peter? Watch this. Be alert and sober mind. Same command we're given here. Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a... 
It doesn't say lion. It says roaring lion. Now, I've been to the zoo. Have you ever heard a lion roar? That's something, ain't it? The, the devil's trying to scare you. That's what he's trying to do. He's, try, he's trying to make you afraid. This is the weapon that's being used against the church. And do you know what, church? We are susceptible to dismay and being placed in a position of fear. Last one here has to do with destruction. Um, This has everything to do with what's told in the middle of this to stand firm, stand firm. Do not be overcome. Do not give up your ground. This verse from Jesus in John 10, the thief comes only to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life and may have it to the full. Church, I want you to know if you can track with these as our strategy, you are going to be well fit to go into battle today. You're going to be well fit to go into battle. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood. Being part of the church means we're called to, let's make this thing happen. Let's get some yards on the field. Let's hold our ground, not give them an inch. And why do we need God's armor? Because we have this as a corruption in us that you are likely to be deceived You're likely to want to divide from one another. You're likely to be afraid. You're likely to fall towards destruction if you're not standing. So how do we apply this to today? You guys also tracking with me on this? Because I want to get real, real on this one. This is it for me, right? We're, We're done with Ephesians. So give me a minute or two here, right? Just as we're wrapping up. I want you to see, first of all, that when it comes to spiritual warfare, this letter, especially chapter six, this is like basic training. Right? When you go into the military, they put you through how to, how to run your rifle, how, how to get in shape. Church, you got to get in shape. You can't rely on me. I'm fighting a battle here. I need you to fight with me in this battle. So in basic training, number one, I want you and I to obey the command, be strong in the Lord by standing firm. That's the, that's the primary command. Here's how you do that. If the battle is spiritual then it must be engaged spiritually. The problem with your husband is not that he is lazy. The problem with your husband is not that he is just a man. Problem with your wife, I'm not even going to go there. I'm going to get in trouble if I say that. <laughs> the problem with your family member, the problem with your coworker, the problem with your neighbor, whatever you think it is, it's not physical. It's spiritual. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. And so do you know what you do if you're going to go into battle? (laughs) You need to be praying. So look with me again in the text. At the end of chapter 6, he says, verse 18, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always Keep on praying for, what's it say? All the saints. I know that there's a group of folks, and and some tell me this. In fact, most recently, it was Sarah uh, Adams was telling me that when she puts little Scarlet, you guys know Scarlet, right? Just sweetest, cutest little thing in our church, right? Um, That Scarlet prays for me. Do you know how cool that is to me? That this little girl, while she's saying her prayers at night, is praying for her pastor? Wow, that means a lot to me. You, you need to pray for each other. In fact, you need to pray for all the saints because the battle is not a physical battle. If we're going to see success happen in our church to represent Jesus Christ, 
There is a spiritual battle. So get in the game. Get involved. And don't bring anything worldly. It's a spirit battle. So we need to be praying. I wanted to ask the question, I wonder how much time you spend in prayer. When's the last time you spent 15 minutes just in prayer? I was going to have us just sit here for like 15 seconds to see how long that is because it feels like an eternity as we're sitting here. 15 minutes might feel like a long time. That's like barely stretching when it comes to the battle. You need to be praying when? What's it say here? Always. With what? All kinds of requests. For who? For all the saints. I want to challenge you, church, this week. See if you can spend 15 minutes in prayer every day. That's it's pretty low. It's like the starting mark. And by the way, you're no better before God if you spend the whole day in prayer. You're really no better. He loves you the same as he loves the worst sinner that's out there. Because for both of you, he sent Jesus to die in their place. But you will be better prepared for the battle. So that's my challenge to you. I don't know where your prayer life is, but here it is. Take it if you want. See if you can spend 15 minutes a day in prayer. Better than that, see if you can build prayer into a habit of your life. That's my, that's my challenge to you because I don't want you to be like my basketball team was at White Lake. I mean, we got in big trouble because we were not prepared for the battle. The battle here is spiritual. I want to challenge you to be praying. Um, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but you know the story when Jesus is in Gethsemane. Jesus says to his disciples just before he's about to be arrested, pray. And Jesus goes off and pray. And what do the disciples do? Why didn't Jesus come back and they're asleep? He tells them again, pray that you don't fall into sin. Once more they fall asleep. Three times this happens. So... Trust me, you're in good company with the rest of the disciples if prayer is a challenge for you. I want you to know that if the, if the battle is spiritual, then you need to be engaged spiritually and so pray. Number two, if the attacks are lies, accusations, and condemnation, if that is the attack, then you must counter the attack with truth. How do you do that? I want to challenge you, church, to memorize Scripture. Well, pastor, I, I've tried. I, it's, I'm a good person. I'm just a good You are not a good person. You, you need Jesus. And the little weapons that you're bringing into whatever you're fighting, you're, you're being defeated and you've been deceived into thinking that was success. We only gave up this many yards. You think that's good? You're supposed to stand your ground. And if he is coming at you with lies and accusation... Do you know what your weapon is? Your weapon is truth. Of all the six elements of the armor of God, only one is offensive. Do you remember what it is? The sword of the spirit, which is, look with me in the Bible, verse 17, which is the word of God. I feel like I'm, I feel like I really, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for our church. So thankful for all those that come to Bible study. I'm looking around and I see Bibles open everywhere, right? So I feel like you get this. Let's go to the next level. Memorize scripture. As I was putting together uh, this message, particularly for today, I thought there's no way I can tell these guys to do it if I'm not trying to do it. And so I started to try to memorize some passages out of the Gospels. And man, I'll tell you this. I completely unexpected to me in my day, those verses would just start coming to my mind. 
I, I wasn't even looking for them, but because I had been seeking to memorize them, God was bringing them, delivering to, them to me in those moments when I needed them. It was awesome. It was like I was fully prepared to take my stance against the attack as it was coming. Jesus is tempted in Luke 4 and Matthew 4. The devil comes to Jesus. Do you remember the story, right? Again, I won't read through the whole thing. But as the devil comes, he says, you look hungry, Jesus. 40 days in the wilderness, turn these rocks into bread. How does Jesus reply? With what? He uses scripture. And that's Jesus. He is the incarnate word of God. And yet he models for you and I. When you're going to face temptation, do you want to know how to handle it? Memorize God's word. Be ready to answer with God's word. Even the devil here, we won't get into it, but the devil tries to say, oh, it's written. And then the devil twists up scripture because again, remember, he's a liar. He's a deceiver. And what is Jesus? He doesn't, he doesn't change his game. Jesus still answers with truth. And so if lies and accusation are the problem, you and I need to come and battle with truth. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I would not sin against you. All right, lastly, if you are unarmed, then you need God's armor. And for this, all the armor of God has so much application that I'm, again, just as I started today, I, I, I want to encourage you to keep seeking. But there's one thing they all hold in common. The armor of God as a whole has in common you finding your identity in Christ. That's what it means to put on someone else's armor. It's not your armor. It's whose? The armor of God. And so as you do, what are you really doing? You are finding your identity in Christ. Two verses I want to end with. The first here comes with Romans 13. Paul says, and do this understanding at the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. I don't know if you remember that in, in uh, Ephesians. Like, there's a new day, so wake up. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and check it out. Put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing in drunkenness and sexual immorality and debauchery. Would Jesus be doing those things? So should you? If Jesus wouldn't do it, you shouldn't do it either. Find your identity in him. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Do you see it? My identity is Christ. Paul says this in Philippians, for me to live is Christ. And to die, right? That's the worst they could do. To die, do you remember what it says? To die is gain. To clothe yourself in Christ. If you're unarmed, you need God's armor. I'm going to finish today with a longer verse from the one that Phil started us off with in, uh, in our reading today, 1 Thessalonians 5. He only read verse 8. I want you to see how the whole church gets wrapped up into this. And then we'll be done this morning. He says, but you, brothers and sisters, you're not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all children of light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep. But let us be awake and sober. For there are those who sleep at night and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so 
that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. I like this end. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you're doing. Have you ever been on a sports team and when someone makes a mistake, they just blame them? Man, what if we didn't have them on our team, we'd do great. How's that player then feel? Pretty low. Have you been part of a different team that when someone was low, they gathered around them to help build them up, pick them up? Church, that's what we need to do as well. There's a battle going on right now. Make sure that you're prepared for it. Let's pray this morning.